Good morning. Can you all hear me? I'm going to be reading from Colossians 1, 15 to 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he now has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Nice job. Well, good morning, everybody. Now, you may be sitting there asking yourself, you know, doesn't that passage sound familiar? Hmm. Some would say that that passage sounds identical to the one that Buche preached on last week. Hmm. It's so familiar. You know, I was always scheduled to preach today, uh, but Pastor David said, hey, look, could you be ready uh, last week just in case we need you? Because as you know, and Buche would never talk about it, but he's being treated for cancer. So please keep praying for him. He doesn't want to make a fuss of it or anything like that. But, you know, just in case he wasn't feeling good, David said, hey, look, can you just be ready? And uh, bless the Lord, Buche was good to go. He did a great job. It was never uh, an issue. But I'm sitting there in my little front row seat. <clears throat> I got my Bible out and Buche goes, okay, my friends, open to Colossians chapter one. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then Buche goes, open to verse 15. I was like, ah. You know, young Blake would be weeping and gnashing teeth and tearing at my clothes and going all wrath of Khan, you know. But older Blake, hopefully just a tiny bit more uh, mature, uh, you know, just remember the apostle said of Jesus, uh, so much had been written about him that all the books of the world couldn't hold the information. And kind of the same thing holds true about scripture. Every verse, every word of scripture has been written about so many times. There's warehouses full of sermons on Colossians 15, uh, chapter 1, 15 to 23. And every single one of them, thanks to the Holy Spirit, is completely different. It's like a fingerprint. And you know, the final straw really uh, last week is when I got home uh, and my wife had turned on one of our uh, online churches that we like to watch once in a while in Texas, uh, the Village Church. And uh, Matt Chandler says, he goes, open your Bibles, folks, to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and we'll go to 23. 
That's my Texas accent. Uh, so at that point, I was like, all right, Holy Spirit, we're doing this thing. <clears throat> it can't be that. And it can't be bad to talk about Jesus the way Paul does uh, for one more week, right? Uh, and boy, this letter to the church at Colossae, it's Paul's love letter to Jesus. Because nowhere in Scripture will you find such a beautiful and comprehensive and tightly written Christology than you will here in this letter. Uh, and I got really familiar with this letter a few years ago. Uh, you guys know my last job, I was an FBI agent. One of my last assignments was sitting in the back of my SUV, AC off, car off, all darked out not making a move and watching a doorway for hours every day. I'm like, how am I going to survive this thing, right? So I said, you know what? I can't put my head down in a book and read, right? But I can memorize some scripture. I just look down, see a verse, and say it 30 or 40 times, right? So I picked Colossians to memorize, uh, you know, and it worked. It was great. I got through it, and uh, it just it drove these tracks through my heart. They're like wagon wheel ruts. The Colossians is so beautiful and flowing, even in translation, uh, it is memorizing uh, and mesmerizing. And at the end of the case, when they made the arrest, I had the whole thing memorized. So uh, it was great. It was burned into my soul and it got uh, that time. But Colossians reveals the power and the majesty and the magnitude of Jesus. There's nothing quite like it when it comes to understanding the theology of Jesus, so this morning, we're going to look at three ultimate attributes uh, of Jesus Christ, okay? Three ultimate attributes. We're going to look at ultimate power, ultimate mercy, and ultimate joy. Ultimate power, ultimate mercy, and ultimate joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this chance to come together as God's family, Lord, to worship you, Lord, to hear the music, Lord, to, that melts our hearts, Lord, that you can stamp your imprint on us, Heavenly Father. We know there is hope in you, Lord, the horrific, uh, malevolent evil that happened in Texas, Lord. We pray you would stamp out that evil. We know you would, Lord. You will eventually. It breaks our hearts, Heavenly Father. We pray for the people of Texas, Lord, the parents the incredible evil, Lord. We know that you will address it in the end, but oh, how we long for justice now. Lord, help us to be thinking on the evil and sin and uh, just meditating on that and how Jesus, how you, Lord, can come into our hearts and change it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, ultimate power. We're gonna take a look at the very first verse uh, in uh, Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So first of all, this tells us that Jesus is God, right? And Buche hit a home run on this one. Uh, the word firstborn here, though, it's about status, okay? It's not about Jesus' order of like he was born before his brother or sister, okay? This is about status, and in Bible days, the word firstborn meant that uh, you received all the powers and rights and privileges of the father in the family. So what Paul is saying about Jesus here is that there's no difference at all between God and Jesus when it comes to powers and authority. So Jesus has all the same powers and authorities and rights uh, and benefits as God the father. And he is over all creation. In verse 16, it says, for by him, all things were created, things in heaven and earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So all of creation was created by 
Jesus. You never really thought about Jesus creator, did you? It's always God in those first few lines of Genesis. We know that Jesus was present at the very beginning, right, from places like John 1.1, but Jesus was also doing the creating. And in case you missed it, Paul doubles down in verse 19. He says, all the fullness of God, even the creative power dwells in Jesus. So what does that mean to us today in Northern Virginia? You know, it means that the ultimate power of Jesus, what that incredible power means is that Jesus is not some waif-like hippie, all right, with good hair and a chill attitude that you can hang out with whenever you feel like it, okay? That's not what ultimate power means. He is not your buddy. He's not your life coach. And he's not your pickleball partner. He is the sovereign creator of heaven and earth. He demands an account from each and every one of us for our sins against him, but also our sins against our neighbors and our sins against very creation. And this is a real crisis confronting us. This is the crisis. And it should make us all a little bit afraid, maybe a lot afraid. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do you think that there's wrath of God right now over what happened in Texas? Do you think that there's a wrath of God right now for what the Southern Baptist Convention leaders are responsible for? Over what has become of a country and a people where this could even be possible? So again, I ask, how do we respond? Look, here's the first way to respond, okay? If you are not a Christian, if you've never come to the foot of the cross, come to the feet of Jesus Come to him. Repent of your sins against him. Sense, we all sense the authority of God. Every single human being knows there's an authority pressing down on us. It's a weight that we all carry as human beings, whether you're in church or not in church, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that weight is pressing on you. We know it in our bones. If you read Romans 1, you'll understand it. And if Jesus is all that Paul says, we should be honoring Jesus the same way as we honor God. And we haven't lived up to what he expects. So go to him for the first time, maybe. Maybe it's right in your seat today. Do it. That weight you can't explain, that always striving to be a good person or to do good deeds or to reconcile the things you've done in your own heart, it only gets reconciled by one person. And if you are, a Christian, okay? We need to get much more serious about believing Jesus. To not do any one of those things, to not love him appropriately, to not obey him. And love and obedience go together because we love, we do the things that we love, right? Every time we, we sin, every time we don't follow God's law, we say there's something more important to us at that very moment than God, than Jesus, than what he did for me. But none of us do it in the fullness that we should. But not to believe as you should, not to obey and love him. It's not only a sin against Jesus, it's going to short circuit your own spiritual health. Because the very cure for sin, the very cure for the brokenness that our own sin causes us is Jesus. It's himself. He is specifically how we recover from sin. Both in the overall sense of the greater salvation and in the everyday. 
each separate instance of sin. You should be bringing it to him. Be more diligent. When's the last time you did that? When did you pray and offer your sins up to Jesus? When did you repent the last time? But the bottom line is this, okay? If Jesus is, is who Paul says he is, there's gonna have to be a radical reordering of your life. Radical reordering, more than we're doing now. You can't just come here on Sunday and take the good advice that Pastor David or myself, we give you out of the word and take the stuff that you like out of it and just blow off the rest of the stuff. You know, the advice that works into your life and the stuff that doesn't, you just ignore it. You can't do that. If Jesus is God, he hasn't come into your life just to round the edges or to scrape off the little bumps on the end. He is not a spiritual Lipitor just trying to get our sin numbers down just to something a little more manageable. He's not gonna wink at you when you wall off entire parts of your life to him. You know, you're pretty obedient, but you know, you're dating somebody and you know what? You're sleeping with them. Oh, but I love them and we're gonna get married and it's not really a big deal, right? What's the harm? Or, you know, things aren't going well at home with your spouse, so you just dabble in porn a little bit. What's the harm? Or maybe you mistreat a brother or sister uh, in Christ over some difference in beliefs of something else that's not as important as Jesus. You can't wall off any portion of your life. You can't have this over-desire for power and control because all power and control and ultimate power and control belong to Jesus. So as God, Jesus gets full control and authority over every aspect of your existence. It has to be a radical reordering. It has to like freak you out. Because if you really believe that Jesus is the all-powerful God, it should be causing us to do something, right? We only react when it's a big deal. Like Jurassic Park, I think the first one, the scene where T-Rex is coming. Boom, boom, right? That little cup on the desk, the liquid just shakes just a little bit, right? Well, they better run from T-Rex and his power, right? But even though Jesus has ultimate power, you know what? We can run to him. That should be our reaction, running to Jesus. That brings us to our second ultimate attribute. So we have ultimate power. Next, Jesus is also ultimate mercy. Colossians 1, 19 to 20 reads this. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So all the broken things of the universe, anything on heaven or earth, everything that's been dislocated from God by sin. And you know what? I use that word broken first, okay? I wanna wanna be clear about something though. We take the word broken and we make it virtuous. Like I heard some worship song once. It was like, beautiful, broken things. Mr. Beautiful, broken thing. There's nothing beautiful about our sin. Like we're the victim of some outside force that has torn us from God. We've torn ourselves from God. The hard truth is we broke ourselves. We are broken, okay? But we broke ourselves. It's our own sin. We are not the victims. We are the perpetrators. We are the sinners. Now we learn though that all the fullness of God resides in Jesus, including mercy. 
That is the good news. I gave you some hard words there, okay? But Jesus is all unlimited, ultimate mercy, okay? Because we now learn that Jesus doesn't use that ultimate power to see us in our broken sin, and he doesn't hoax smash us. He doesn't use his power like that. But he reconciles himself to all things. Jesus reconciles himself to us. We can't reconcile ourselves to God. All of our lives are about trying to reconcile ourselves. And you know what happens when we do? Instead of Jesus doing the reconciling, you know, oftentimes we're trying to do it. And I want to kind of go over that a little bit, okay? We reconcile ourselves through two things, all right? The first one I'm going to call irreligion. So it's IR with religion on the end, okay? That is the opposite of what we know and understand as religion. So we go the completely secular and godless route. It's the idea that life has no eternal significance. As Paul says, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, right? So what's the big deal? Let's make the most of things. Let's live as well as we can and make as much money and get our kids set up and, because this is all we've got, right? And, you know, some of us are lucky. We've worked hard. We've done well. Uh, and others just get a raw deal, you know. It's just the way it is. So we try to reconcile ourselves to God through irreligion. Here's the other side. You're not going to like this one. We try to reconcile ourselves to God through religion. Bear with me, okay? If I just get to church on Sunday and get my baby violin on time. By the way, you need to get your baby violin on time, okay? If I just show up at life group once in a while and then I, I please God by doing those things. I please God. I'm reconciling my relationship by going to church and doing these things and being busy. I'll have God's approval because of what I've done. And good things will happen to me. I'm going to have his love and blessing because of what I've done. That is religion. And it's not in a good sense. So what we say generally for everybody is that there is a God, there's some kind of higher power, and that through some kind of tradition or way that I make myself feel better, maybe just a simple baseline morality, I'm reconciled. And both of those two groups are like, I'm doing it. I want to show you the extreme of those two groups though, okay? Here's the extreme of irreligion. The monster of Texas. A crushing evil on his heart. Maybe mental illness. Maybe some kind of broken family life that causes a man to shoot his grandmother in the face. And then locked down for a couple of years with nothing but social media. He's trying to reconcile himself and it turns him into a monster. Now let me talk about the other side. Religion. Here's the extreme of religion. The Southern Baptist Convention leadership. Mistaking their positions and their authority. Misusing the things that they've done to claim their own holiness. Misunderstanding Jesus' ultimate authority. Abusing his power and abusing victims and enabling Abusers, they will answer to God for that. But you know what? Those are the extremes. You want to know where we float around? We're kind of right in the middle. Those are like 99.999. I mean, those are .0001s out in the sides. We're the 99.999 in here. We've got a little religious system that we use, we dig, and we've got a little bit of irreligion that we use, and it kind of reconciles in our mind uh, what, our, what our problems are. 
So we do a lot of Christian stuff when we come to church, like I said, and we obey God to some minimal extent, uh, but it's mostly to ensure that good things happen in our life. So don't tell me that Christians don't believe in karma. If I do something good and follow the rules, you know, God's gonna bless me. So we'll all hear a, a good sermon. It'll be like, you go, pastor, you bring the fire. And you come up and come up and say, oh man, pastor. Oh man, so many people need to hear that today. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, thank you for the kind words. And in my mind, I'm going, you needed to hear that. And you know what? That's, if it's you, you know I love you guys, okay? I need to hear it, all right? We all need to hear it. Because first and foremost, before I step onto this pulpit, I preach every word of this sermon to myself. And it's really one of the big problems in church world. We should start thinking about this more often. But nobody is ever willing to own up to being the those people or being the them. The person that needed to hear the word. It's always somebody else. It's always somebody a couple rows up or somebody outside those walls. And what happens is, is we don't understand the ultimate power of Jesus. So we don't take his word seriously. We don't apply it to our life. And we also don't understand mercy. We have an undernourished, underweight version of the gospel. And we try to reconcile ourselves to doing things on our own. You know, we pepper a little irreligious in, even as Christians, okay? Just a little spice on there. If I eat healthy and go to boot camp, you know, I probably won't get cancer. But everything that occurs from health to money to marriage to how our kids are turning out is we save the money and we raise good kids and we accomplished it. And, you know, we marry it to some Sunday church and some Bible rules and we're good to go. We're not understanding Jesus' ultimate mercy. We're not understanding his reconciling. The fact that he reconciled himself to us on his cross. It's a false reconciliation and it's also paper thin. Because then something happens like the Texas shooting and we're like, how could this possibly happen? One of my friends lives in a community where they lost a young teen girl to a a, a senseless car crash. How could this happen? This community had perfect houses and jobs and families, just like in Texas, I'm sure. They've been playing by all the rules. And this happens, and it is a paper thin, busting through it the Kool-Aid man. I'm a good person. Why are these things happening to me? And we get surprised. You know, in Scripture, it's clear, though, that bad things happen to good people. And bad people, the evil people, they're always living a good life. It doesn't work that way. There are whole books of the Bible that lay that out. But the core reason is we have a faulty view of Scripture and the gospel. We have a faulty view of Jesus' ultimate power and a faulty view of his ultimate mercy. But what if I told you that there was a third way? Instead of religion or irreligion, What if I told you about the gospel? Paul is speaking to the believing church when he says this. It says in Colossians 1.22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus reconciled. That's past tense. So this is for you Christians, okay? Those who have been accepted by Jesus, the reconciling savior the one who made peace by the blood of his cross. And Paul says without blemish here, he's, 
He's triggering Old Testament mem- uh, memories. The way you approached God back then is what you cleaned and you cleaned and you cleaned. And there was these rituals and there was these ceremonies. And you kept cleaning and you brought the sacrifice thing that was without blemish. That's what Leviticus and Numbers are all about. And you know what? We're still doing it. We're still trying to clean ourselves. It was never anything you ever earned because before Jesus, you were without blemish. I mean, you were with, what did I say there? That was wrong. (laughs) Before Jesus, you were never without blemish. You were never without blemish. Now you are without blemish. And sometimes we don't remind ourselves of that. You have to remind yourself that Jesus looks at you, Christian, with the white robes of Christ. Just God looks at you as he looks at Jesus, full of love. He looks at you like holy and perfect. And we never think of that. That should be what keeps us going. We can't believe it. How can Jesus look at, how can God look at me that way? And then we love him for it. And then we serve him. It was never anything that you could have earned. Because when you do that, you miss the third ultimate attribute of Jesus. So ultimate power, ultimate mercy leads to ultimate joy. You actually put those two together. Ultimate power plus ultimate mercy equals ultimate joy. Listen to verse 21 and 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Give you some investigative clues there where we're going. But listen to verse 23 again. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Now remember, Paul is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the church at Colossae, Colossae Community Church. So what he's saying is that it's completely possible to be a Christian, to have made the decision to follow Jesus and his reconciliation. We are forgiven. There is no longer a barrier between us and God. It's completely possible to believe in that, but then we shift from the hope of the gospel. We go back to doing our own reconciliation, and we do the mashup again of religion and irreligion. If you continue. Now listen. Grab the paper bag under your seat. Start breathing in, breathing out. You can't lose your salvation, okay? You can't do it. What Paul is saying here is you can be a saved Christian, but be routinely placing your hope somewhere other than the gospel. That's what he's saying. You can routinely place your hope somewhere other than the gospel. So you know you're you're a Christian. You've made the decision. You've repented, but day to day, operationally, in your day-to-day operations, you're doing the reconciling instead of Jesus. And don't mistake this third way, the gospel, for religion either, okay? Because if you don't know Jesus, you're going to say, oh my gosh, that's religion. No, it's not. I always hate when people call Christianity a religion because it's not a religion. The religious way is so much different than the gospel. Religion says that God gets your obedience by pressing in on your guilt and shame, by sticking his finger into your wound. He would never do that. By pushing on your guilt and shame, by crushing you into obedience. That's not how it works. That is not the gospel. That is religion. The third way of the gospel frees you to walk in ultimate joy. 
Because in true Christianity, Jesus bears your guilt and shame for you. He bears it for you. Do you get it? Do you understand the difference? Do you see? The religious person obeys because God's going to get me. He's going to send me to hell. Or I'm not going to get the good stuff anymore. The religious person says, I obey because God is going to get me. It's Hulk smash time. But the gospel-inspired believer, the one who is operationally trusting in how Jesus did the reconciliation, whose hope is not shifting off the gospel, the believer obeys not because God's going to get him, but because God has got him. He's got you. He's got you in your sin. He's got you in your brokenness. He has handled it. He has reconciled himself to all things by making peace through his blood of his cross. You cannot provide that kind of peace to yourself. It's not gonna work. (laughs) Ultimate power plus ultimate mercy equals ultimate joy. Religion says we obey so we won't be destroyed. The gospel says we obey because Jesus was destroyed for us. So now we are reconciled. We are free to enjoy him because the barrier is gone. The debt has been been paid. The weight of sin is off of us. And Paul says, the hope of the gospel. There is no sweeter message in all the world than when you wake up uh, miserable and ashamed and depressed and you're guilt-ridden and you feel hostility and alienation, but then you remember and you rejoice. Jesus reconciled himself to me. He did everything. You can stop the feeling of alienation. You can stop the feeling of hostility between you and God. You've got to carry it all the way through, though. You are reconciled. So with every bone in your body, when your head hits the pillow at night, you can have the quiet and peaceful heart that knows that every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that you will commit is forgiven and you are reconciled because of what Jesus did. That is the gospel. Jesus made peace for you by the blood of his cross. You know, if Jesus was only about power, we could think that he did the law so we wouldn't have to. And if Jesus was only about mercy, we could totally shove him aside because now we don't need him anymore. Ha <laughs> ha. Both of those, though, they let us off the hook. Both of those views let us off the hook. And we get very little growth or life change when we believe in either one of those. If we have a, a misunderstanding of God, of Jesus' ultimate power or his ultimate mercy, it skews everything. Because there is something that we are to do. There is. We see through Paul that Jesus' ultimate power, ultimate mercy, something else happens, okay? Because he gives us the power to want to do his law. We do it because we love him. And we, love, we, we do what we love. So out of the very mercy, I can't believe you forgave me again. Out of that very mercy grows the merciful power of Jesus. Ultimate power and ultimate mercy. And it's that paradox, okay? They don't usually go together. Mercy and power never roll together, except in Jesus. Worldly power, you only give a portion, just enough to look good or to seem virtuous. And we only do mercy if somebody's gonna give us mercy back, okay? It's a transactional relationship. Only in Jesus can we do both. And only Jesus does it to perfection. It helps us to get better. He gives it all up, all of his ultimate power. He gives up his power, right, on the cross. He is God and he goes to the cross. 
He gives up his preeminence and his creator rights. And in his ultimate mercy, he presents himself to the Father in our place. He is without blemish. And you know what? If you believe in Jesus today, despite all of our own reconciliation action and activity, because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk out here today. I'm going to try to reconcile myself at some point. It happens every single day. But he is without blemish. And if you accepted him as your savior, you too are without blemish. So the gospel, is Jesus all-powerful, giving up himself up for our sin? It's ultimate power channeled into ultimate mercy. And you know what's going to lead to your ultimate joy if you believe and you don't shift from the hope found in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word so much. We thank you for this love letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church, Lord, about Jesus, Lord. This incredible uh, Christology of how Jesus works in our lives, Lord. We pray that you would help us to catch ourselves when we're trying to self-reconcile, Lord. Uh, that you catch ourselves when our head tries to hit the pillow and we're filled with doubt and shame, Lord. That we carry it through and realize that through the blood of your cross, you did all the reconciling for us, Lord. That through the Holy Spirit, you would give us that healing power, Lord. If there's somebody here today that's trying to reconcile themselves to you, Lord, you might have been here for 20 years. Let today be the day that you decide you're going to let Jesus reconcile for you. And for the Christian, always running around in Nova trying to reconcile ourselves with fat bank accounts and two new cars and big houses, Lord, that we know that your reconciliation is enough, Lord. Be comfortable in what you provide us through your grace. We pray for those in Texas, Lord, the brokenhearted, Lord. 